Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? That's a haunting question. you'll have your Bible open to Romans chapter 2. We complete the chapter that we started several months ago. Um, If you haven't been around lately, um, what we're doing is we're working our way up to Romans chapter 12. Uh, All that we're doing right now is sort of uh, preparation work. So when we get to chapter 12, verse 1, we'll understand what the word therefore means. Uh, so that's, that's why we're doing what we're doing. You remember we started some time ago uh, looking at why were we born? Why are you here? What is the meaning of life? And we talked and saw from Scripture that we are here to glorify God the Father through the Son by the power of the Holy Spirit. But we are here to glorify God and to express glory to God by the way that we love one another. Well, something's gone wrong. Something has gone radically wrong. And so we asked the question, what's the matter you? And uh, there we saw that the problem was that we had suppressed the truth of God, uh, that we had ignored the evidence of his deity and his eternal power that is all around us in creation, and instead we had substituted created things for the creator. In other words, we orient our lives and we worship things that are not God. That's called idolatry. We saw that that resulted in several things. Uh, First of all, it resulted in rank paganism. You'll remember there at the end of chapter 1, there's, there's that terrible sin that, that is mentioned there. It's just an ugly, ugly sin of gossip. And so um, uh, we get hung up on the other one. But uh, we saw that, we, that this kind of uh, rebellion against the will of God was a result of our idolatry. Well, uh, then, how do we get out from under the judgment of God? How do we get out from under the wrath of God? And there's a lot of ways to try that. Um, And you can almost hear people um, sort of saying to Paul, well, how about this? How about that? Uh, And the first person says, well, um, yeah, you're you're right. All those sin things, they deserve the wrath of God. And uh, uh, Paul says, well, look, just because you agree with the judgment of God doesn't get you off the hook. That's a nice try. But you, too, are liable to the judgment. That's why you can't be a judge of others. Um, And then someone would say, well, what about the moral person? and um, uh, Paul says, well, the, the moral person, that's great, but he's not completely moral. And, and uh, what we have is a conscience. And I love the way Randy uh, sort of helped us understand the role of conscience in, in human life. Conscience is there to, to tell us uh, what's right and what's wrong. But what we do with our conscience is we distort it, we pervert it, we twist it until um, it's hardly recognizable. And so we have seared our conscience. Remember that. And uh, so we're, we're unable to tell really what's right or wrong. We live in a society that raises up people with a conscience that will allow just about anything. Um, and we're all in this conspiracy together, and we agree, well, it's okay because our conscience is our guide. Jiminy Cricket is our theologian. So uh, uh, we saw that, that conscience was in, uh, sufficient as well. Well, in this whole discussion, there's been a guy lurking around in this text of Scripture. There's been, been a guy there. And, and Paul knows he's there. And he's kind of saying these things so that the guy who's lurking in the background will, will get the word. And the guy lurking in the background is somebody like me. He's a professional religious guy. Um, you might call him a Jew. You would call him someone who is a part of uh, the chosen people of God, someone who has invested his life in the tradition 
of Israel who's very much immersed in the law, that is the, the written expression of God's will for his people. He's very much invested in the rites and the rituals of the Jewish tradition, that is he, he wants to maintain a unique identity in the world so you can tell the difference between who he is and who the rest of the world is. He belongs to God, and so he observes all these rituals and things like that. And so what you have is a guy lurking in the background who says, yeah, Paul, all that you're saying is true. Everything you're saying is true. The rank pagan, his sin, awful, awful, awful. The guy who's judgmental, yeah, that's terrible. I judge him awful. Um, the, the moral person, yeah, not moral enough. And, and oh, yeah, conscience, that's right. People have a bad conscience. But Paul, I have the law. I have what God actually wrote. I have what he actually put down for us to do. I have the law. And so, Paul, I must be okay because I have my tradition. Tradition? I have my tradition. And this guy's sort of been lurking in the background saying, yeah, Paul, that's, you, you tell them. They need to hear that. They need to hear that. And now Paul's going to talk to the religious guy. I said he's, he's a guy like me. Because I, I like tradition. I'm, I'm sort of a traditionalist kind of guy. For me, really going crazy in a worship service, wearing a red tie. <laughs> I mean, that, that just like, whoa. It's kind of avant-garde, honestly. But uh, I know back in 1776, I would have sided with the British because that's what conservatives do. So, you know, I would just kind of like to say I'd be on the wrong side of everything. But... Um, uh, but I, I can identify with this. I, I grew up in, in, in a home that was very much a part of uh, Baptist tradition and uh, grew up singing the Baptist hymns and going to Baptist church and all those other things and loved the Baptist history and Baptist identity and all those other things. Surely, you know, that's okay. And uh, what Paul is going to do is he's going to write to folks like me and say, well, you cannot trust your tradition and you cannot rely upon your religion no matter how good it is, no matter how wonderful it is, you're still working the system for yourself. You're still a sinner. Um, now, maybe this morning you don't identify with people like me. You know, maybe uh, tradition is like anathema to you. you. You'd rather not do tradition, and so your tradition is to be untraditional, um, you know, and what you gravitate towards is always doing the unex unexpected. I, I think that's great. Just relax um, and sit back and listen. Uh, but I think a lot of you probably can identify with me either from your upbringing or from your Christian walk or somehow in your head, we, you, we've absorbed this idea that as long as I'm doing the right things and I'm, I'm reading my Bible and going to church and all those other wonderful things, that I'm going to be okay with God and escape the wrath of God. And, and here's the deal, nice try. That's a nice try. Well, let's look at the passage of Scripture real quickly. I know that, that um, oh, oh and, and if this is your first time with us, and you're afraid that oh, he's only just now starting the sermon. I did about 10 minutes of it already. I know that. Okay, so I'm, I'm, I'm aware of these things. Anyway. But you go back to verse 17, and, and, and Paul says, you know, but you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God. Those, by the way, are very, very good things to uh, rely on the law and boast in God. You know his will and improve what is excellent because you are instructed in the law. Look, the, 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 the Jewish folks were, were really the ones God was using. We read that word law, and a lot of times we think, oh, what an ugly thing. Oh, this terrible law thing. Ever since the Reformation, we've, we've had this idea, you know, law must be an awful thing. Here's what the law is. The law expresses God's will for your life as to how you might please him. The law tells you 
how you can honor God with your life. That's not a bad thing. I mean, it's better than God just saying, hey, try something, I'll tell you if I like it. No, he says, here's what I want. Here's my law, here's my will. I've, I've, I've expressed it to you. Go and do. I mean, the, the law, in a very real sense, is an expression of the grace of God. Now, where we get into trouble and where the, the Old Testament believers got into trouble was, they looked at the law and they said, ah, oh, the law talks about what to do. That must be all God cares about is what we're doing. That's why Jesus penetrated into the matter of the heart. He says, no, the law gave you things that would open up a window so you could see the attitude of the heart. Prior to doing the things of the law is the commitment of the heart that's foundational to that. So there's nothing wrong with the law in that sense. Nothing wrong with loving the law and boasting in God and knowing his will and all those other kinds of things. So Paul says, look, these are wonderful things. But your tradition has basically puffed you up and made you think you're better than everybody else. And you're not. And I don't know how to break it to you, but you're not. In fact, that's the whole point of this passage of Scripture is we are all sinners. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one. That's where we're headed with all this. So he says, you guys, you know, you you really know all this. You're kind of puffed up and... um, Now, starting in verse 19, let's just agree, Paul had the gift of holy sarcasm. I mean, this is, this, this is, the sarcasm just drips from his quill uh, as, he's, as he's writing this. But in verse 19, he says, and if you are sure that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish and a teacher of children, having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth. You think you're better than everybody else. You know? so, somehow my religion has made me... Uh, I think the word is obnoxious. You know, it's, it's, it's the guy who's constantly lecturing people and wagging his fe- finger at people and talking about, you didn't do this and you didn't do that and you broke this law and you broke that commandment and here's a verse and you didn't know about this. And, you know, and... I mean, you, don't you ever want to them uh, turn to somebody like that and in the love of Jesus tell them to lighten up just a little bit? But that, that's what this tradition does. It makes you think you're better than everybody else. It makes you a little bit obnoxious and all that. But verse 21 is the aiming point of this sentence. It's all one sentence. But here's the aiming point. You then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? Now let's quietly agree that one of the greatest values of teaching a Sunday school class is that you will learn more than you teach. You will get more Bible coming into your head and into your heart by teaching a Sunday school class than you will ever be able to, to impart to others. The Holy Spirit actually does the teaching. But there's something in the process of trying to put it together in a coherent way and to share it that, that is an instructive thing. Um, one, one of the uh, things about preaching is that a lot of times God's preaching at the preacher. Um, I, I can't tell you how many times I'll preach a sermon on Sunday and say it's on anger. And before Monday's over, I will have lost my temper. I'm not going to say I hate it when God does that because I love everything God does. But I hate it when God does that. You know? 
I mean, there, there, there's something about engaging in the world, in, in the Word, even as a teacher, that, that just brings the power of God's Word in, into your life, into your heart, in, in a deeper and deeper way. But Paul says, look, with your religious tradition, you had the answer so long ago, you're not even thinking anymore. And so as you're teaching, you're not teaching yourself anymore. As you're instructing others, you're not letting the Holy Spirit instruct you anymore. In other words, you've become sadly complacent in your religiosity. And you figure you're okay because you're one of the good guys. You've got this label of belonging to God's people, and you think that's all you need. And it's a nice try. But, but you're, you, you've lost touch with what God really wants to do in your life. I mean, it's a very real thing that happens to us. A lot of us, especially when we've been in the church for any number of years, we sort of get a momentum going, and it sort of becomes a routine, and we could do it with our eyes closed, and we do, you know, and we can get to, you know, sometimes we can get to church and home again and never wake up. I mean, it's just a, a marvelous skill to have. So Paul says, with your religiosity, you're preaching, but you're not listening to yourself. And then he goes on, he says, look, if, you, if you're saying don't steal, are you stealing? Do you have that attitude of heart? Adultery, do you have that attitude of heart? Uh, you're against idolatry, yet do you participate in giving your life and honoring things in your life that are, that are not God? You participate in that kind of idolatry. Down to verse 23, says, you who boast in the law dishonor God by breaking the law. You who, do, who, who, who claim this, this great contact with God through your tradition, in point of fact... You're violating God's will because you're not even doing from the heart what, what God said to do in the law. And in verse 24, it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Now, this isn't hard to do, and, the, and, the, and uh, non-believers, read, read Gentile as people who don't, don't believe in God. But, you know, Gentiles are going to blaspheme God anyway, but let's not give them ammunition. You know, let's not help them along and give them examples to use uh, in that regard. But Paul says, because of your religiosity, because you're standing so strong and so pat in your own religion, God's name is being blasphemed. People see the hypocrisy. They see the lack of reality. They see that it's nothing but an external religion. They know that it's not an internal commitment and faith that you have. They, they can see that. Right? So he's saying to the religious guy, the, the, the traditional guy, he says, that's a nice try. Uh, you can trot that out. Uh, we're, we're all impressed. God isn't. It's a nice try. You're still suffering under the judgment of God. Aha! Now, the, uh, the religious guy says, but Paul, I've got you on this one. Paul, we do keep at least part of the law. There is a part of the law, the most important part, that we keep that we never break because you can't. Paul, we observe the right of circumcision for our children to mark them out as belonging to God's people. And they are tagged belonging to God. God, what we do, Paul, is after every circumcision, we take a little tag and we stitch it to the seam of the back of their arm. And that tag says, belongs to God. Do not remove this tag under federal law penalty of, of federal law. Okay, and so we've got this tag on us. And it says, we're God's people. We've got circumcision, and that's the right, that, that proves it. It's sort of like uh, uh, when you appeal to a baptism that you can't remember. Well, I was baptized. When? I don't know. How do you know you were baptized? Well, my mama told me when she was sober. But, uh, but it's an appeal to a tradition, you know, like something... <laughs> 
I don't know, it just occurred to me. <laughs> but it's appealing to some ritual, some rite that had no meaning infused into it. We just, we just did it. And, there, and so Paul says, yeah, well, well, fine, you, you can appeal to that, but God isn't interested in the external. And that's why, and, and we'll go to the end of the chapter. Um, he, he comes down to the end, end of it. And he says, um, but a Jew is one inwardly. This is verse 29. A Jew is one inwardly. And circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the spirit, not by the letter. Letter kills. Spirit gives life. His praise, the person who, who has an internal transformation of the heart, his praise is from God. It's not from man. His praise is from God. And that's what you're after. That's what you're about. So by the very act of, of bringing up the rite of circumcision, you're proving that you're more deeply immersed in tradition and, and religiosity than you are in a personal relationship. So there you are. In, in, in chapters 1 and 2 of the book of Romans, Paul says, look, if you're a rank pagan, sinning, just obvious, offensive kinds of sin, if you're a rank pagan, you deserve the wrath of God. If you are simply a good person, a moral person, still you, you agree you deserve the wrath of God. If you're living by your conscience, let your conscience be your guide, you still deserve the wrath of God. And if you are a religious person, even if it's the religion of the Old Testament, even if it's the religion that you find uh, and ferret out of the writings of the Old Testament and inspired and given by God, even though your religion is that of the Old Covenant and that of, 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 of the writings, you are still subject to the wrath and the judgment of God. That's where we are. And we're not even done yet. We've still got 20 more verses in chapter 3. I want you to know this has been a hard thing to preach on lately. That's why I gave Randy two of them. But it, it's a hard thing to preach on. And it's not hard to preach on uh, because you can't figure out what the theme is. It's not hard because you can't find any illustrations. It's not hard because you can't put together a coherent idea. The reason it's hard to preach a lot of sermons all at the same time on the wrath of God is it just wears you out. And you feel beat down about it. And it's, and it's just hard. Let me show you something. If we were to read, and we won't do it, but if we were start our, to start our reading at verse 18 of chapter 1, that's where we started, remember? Because in verse 16 he says, for the righteousness of God is revealed in the gospel, reveals the righteousness of God. Say, hallelujah, we're going to hear about the righteousness of God. We're going to hear about how he makes us right. We're going to hear about his goodness and his holiness. And wow, let's bring on the righteousness of God. And so in verse 16, chapter 1, is that you, you know, the gospel is all about the righteousness of God. And then in verse 18 he says, for the wrath of God is revealed. Remember that. And that's what we've been talking about. That's been our theme verse for the last month and a half, whatever it's been, two months. The wrath of God. Don't you love it? You have to. It's in the Bible. <laughs> if you read all the way from 118 to 320, you never want, well, you, you don't read the name of Jesus. He's talking about the wrath. You don't read the name of Jesus except for one time. One time, and that's chapter 2, verse 16. 
By the way, when Randy read this last week, I mean, I was sitting over there on the center's bench, and as, uh, as he was reading that, and I'm thinking, you know, this, this whole passage of Scripture, it's about God's wrath and God's judgment and our sin and our failure and our, and our fooling ourselves and that kind of thing. And, and, and Randy just read. It's almost a throw, throwaway line. And, and uh, well, Paul says, On that day when, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. Amen. I just... I felt like a guy who was dying of thirst in the desert who comes along an oasis and there's a pool of water. I just wanted to fall down, face buried in the, in the pool of God's grace and just, just drink up Jesus. You know, and so I'm just looking at the verse and saying, you know, that, that, that's the verse that is the hope. See, because in God's judgment, in his wrath upon our sin, he judges the secrets of our hearts by Christ Jesus. That's why it's good news. First, he judges the secrets of the heart. Most people say, I don't want him judging the secrets of the heart. I want to be able to fool him. <laughs> you know? I, mean, I want to be able to just act like I'm better than I am. And, and, and uh, there's certainly things I've done that I, I, I certainly don't want God to know about. Yeah, like he doesn't. Uh, so, you know, I'm, I'm not sure I like this thing where he judges the secrets of our hearts. Folks, rejoice that God knows the secrets of your heart. He knows the deepest, darkest secret you have. You know that thing that goes on in your head, and you don't have to confess it now. You can write me a letter and tell me about it. But it's, <laughs> it's that thing in your heart that you're convinced if anybody knew it, they would never love you. And you just hide it. You hide it all the time. Uh, you've grown very adept at hiding it, maybe. But there's that little thing when you're quiet in a room by yourself, it comes back. There's a buried secret that I don't want anybody to know. God knows the secrets of your heart. And by this, God demonstrates his love for us that while we were still attached to the sinful secrets of our hearts, Christ died for us. Amen. He died for that secret. He died for the woundedness and the brokenness. He died for the ugliness and the darkness. He died for the way that secret has taken your life and your, and, your, and your heart and has twisted it and distorted it and made it something tied up in knots. Jesus Christ died for our sins. He died for the secrets of our hearts, which means when we stand before the judgment throne of God, we don't have to even try to fool him. You couldn't anyway, but we don't need to. Because Christ died for the secrets. Can you imagine what would happen if he didn't? Can you imagine what would happen if he did not die for our secrets and you could fool God? So you stood in front of God and you said, God, I'm a really good person. Really? Yeah, I, I go to church. Really? Yeah, I'm a preacher. Yeah, well, I guess you're okay. Come on into heaven. Whoa, that's great. And then you'll spend the rest of eternity wondering what happens when God finds out my secret. But when you stand before God's throne and you start to say, Jesus, have mercy on me, I say, wait a minute, that's covered. God, I'm, I'm not worthy to be here because I, no, no, I know about that. I, I took care of it. But you don't understand, God, this is something that I know about it. And I can't see it. Not anymore. Because I covered it in the blood of the Lamb. I covered it with the righteousness of my son, Jesus Christ. 
when God judges the secrets of our hearts, he judges them by Jesus Christ. When we stand before the throne, he judges us by Jesus Christ, who's the same today, yesterday, and forever. That means there's not a changing, moving, grading scale, you know. That if you're judged on Tuesday, it's a different judgment than on Wednesday, a different judgment on Thursday. He judges us by Jesus Christ, who never changes, and who has been shown to us in the beauty of God's Word, by the ministry of the Holy Spirit, by the testimony of God's people. We know who Jesus is, and we know that to be judged according to who Christ is is to set our sins at his feet, at the foot of his cross where he died for us, and our sins taken away. And we are set free from the religion and free from the perverted conscience and free from moralism and free from the rank pagan sin of our lives, free from the idolatry, free from the lie that we live as we suppress the truth. We are set free from the wrath of God in Jesus Christ. And that's why when, when Randy read this last week and I looked at it and said, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets by Christ Jesus. I wanted to be Pentecostal just Give me 15 seconds of being Pentecostal. <laughs> I just want that much. But I'm too religious. And <laughs> <laughs> I want you to know that's the good news. That's the good news. So this morning, I don't know what you're trying. You know, you know about the wrath of God. You know that there's a judgment coming. But the beauty of God's judgment is this. In Jesus Christ, our sins are taken away. And we are judged not guilty. We are made pure to stand before the throne. And all that religion that cluttered up our life is taken away and replaced with the glory of who Jesus Christ is. That's the promise. That's the beauty of God's judgment. And so... This week, what I'd like to ask you to do is uh, every time you run across that secret, you know the one we talked about? Or every time you run into a sin that might be a besetting sin, it just keeps coming back again and again. I want you to just stop and take a moment and say, God, I know I deserve wrath for this. But I thank and praise you that I get grace instead by faith in Jesus Christ. Because if you'll do that every time a sin comes to your head. Every, if you'll just do that every time, you'll be worshiping the Father through the Son every day this week. <laughs> and he'll receive the glory for it. And together we'll be set free from tradition and religion and set free into the glory of who Jesus Christ is. All right, let's pray together. And Father, thank you so much that you know our sin and yet you have sent Christ to die for us. You know our frailty, and yet you send the Holy Spirit to strengthen us. Father, thank you that even before we came to you, you were providing the way in Jesus Christ. So, Father, I lift up the folks in this room, and uh, this morning some of them are struggling, and some of them aren't really sure but I pray your Holy Spirit would give that assurance of salvation by confession of faith in Christ, that your Holy Spirit would give that assurance that, yes, indeed, there is forgiveness. 
that you cleanse us from all unrighteousness, that we can stand faultless before your throne. Father, thank you so much in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.